Hello and a very warm welcome to Future Fit Farming, the business podcast brought to you by Royal Bank of Scotland. I'm your host, Dougie Vipond, and in this podcast, I'll be speaking with three of Scotland's thought leaders about some of the biggest challenges facing the sector today. We'll also discuss their views on the opportunities for the future of agriculture in Scotland and how this vital sector can stay future fit. I'm delighted to welcome my three guests, Stephen Thompson, Dave Ray and Sally Williams. Stephen Thompson is a senior agricultural economist at Scotland's Rural College and acts as a knowledge-based lead with Sifari Gateway. Stephen's work is heavily focused on agricultural policy and rural enterprise, the impacts of Brexit, and most recently supporting the evolving policy focus on agriculture, climate and biodiversity. He also led work. He also led recent work on the use of non-UK seasonal labour in Scottish farming. Dave Ray is a professor of carbon management and education at Edinburgh University. Dave studies climate change and its interaction with greenhouse gas fluxes in managed and natural ecosystems around the world. Much of his work focuses on how changing land use can either exacerbate or mitigate future climate change and how land use can be made more resilient to the future impacts of climate change. Dave is also a prolific author in climate change and also an advisor for the Scottish Government on rural policy and, you guessed it, climate change. My third guest today is Sally Williams, former chair of the Oxford Farming Conference, a leading international conference held in the UK for farming and agribusinesses. The OFC's mission is to inform, challenge and inspire its delegates to be a force for positive change throughout the industry. Sally also farms dairy and sheep in the borders and is a strong advocate of utilising technology and precision farming methods. In fact, her pedigree Holstein herd are milked by six robotic units. Welcome, all of you. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Hi, Diggy. Good to have you here. Now, let's just get straight into it, shall we, and, and set the scene. Stephen, first of all, for any of our viewers seeing this and not really sure of, you know, um, the, the business of agriculture in Scotland and uh, understanding the sector, could you give us a brief profile of it, please? Yeah, I suppose when, when we think at UK agricultural levels, um, we we tend to get a picture of a, a green and pleasant land and what Scotland has is a, a, an awful lot of rough grazing. So there are roughly 19,000 farm businesses in Scotland. They employ about 29,000, 30,000 people. And last night I was writing a report and uh, I was looking at the, the, the business turnover uh, the business premises and the employment in the agri agriculture, food and, and fisheries sector, and in rural areas, it is one of the major major contributors to the economy and to the to the to the employment and to the income generation in those areas. And if you if we think about agriculture in that context, the, I mean, Scotland has got ambition to double its food and drink output to 30 billion by 2030. And then Scotland punches above its weight um, in terms of its population weight and probably in terms of its, its arable area or cropping area. It produces 14 percent of the UK cereals. We produce 25 percent of the, the suckler beef, that is the specialist beef that's raised. 10% uh, of the UK dairy herd, we have got a quarter of the strawberry and raspberry output of the UK. 22% of the UK potato production, 27% of the, the sheep, uh, the sheep um, sector. So 
we do we do an awful lot in terms of our food production and we actually export quite a lot of our our ruminant livestock the the sheep and beef uh, south of the border and into the continent so Stephen, clearly that's a hugely important part of the economy and as you see scottish agriculture is punching above its weight so how important will it be as we move forward through the 21st century you know that that scotland continues to produce food um i think that, that's a it's a vital a vital question that's quite often asked is where does food sit within the current debates on climate and climate and biodiversity emergencies and whilst we may have policies that are, are appear to be focused uh, on those issues food production is at the heart of Scottish government or the current Scottish government's policy uh, the cabinet secretary as uh, Fergus Ewing has has said on numerous occasions within the farming-led groups that uh, food, climate and biodiversity are all important. Now, if we look south of the border, the, the, the ELMS, the Environmental Land Management Scheme that DEFRA are introducing, is more about environmental, uh, environmental improvement rather than food production, although there are things about technical efficiency. The, the, the drivers are slightly different in Scotland, probably because of the, the, the land quality issue that I mentioned earlier. Um, and we are taking what appears to be quite significantly different approaches. So in, in England, uh, all farmers will have 50% less basic payment, uh, basic payments by, by 2024. That's a significant decrease in their their income support levels, and that that income will then or that that money will then be targeted at environmental improvements and technical efficiency. In Scotland, the, diff, the approach is different, and and Sally has been part of one of the farmer-led groups on dairy, um, where the the farmers working with experts have been looking at ways of which the industry can evolve. One of my biggest concerns is that we simply choose to to focus on environment and import our food. Now, if we do that, we offshore our emissions. Uh, the, the climate change emissions are, are, are undertaken in Australia, Brazil, Argentina, wherever we buy our food from. Uh, and to me, that would be morally bankrupt. So we have a vital role in making sure that we produce food as a country and produce food from whatever we have. And we have lots of grass and rough grazing, which means we have an abundance of grazing livestock. So that, that is a, that's a vital component of it. The second thing I would say is that uh, consumer behaviours are changing. So we're actually starting to see more and more people towards veganism, towards plant-based products, um, and, and we shouldn't shy away from that. Consumers have a right to choose, uh, and that right to choose and that changing uh, profile will provide some farmers an opportunity to diversify what they're doing or to focus on new products. Um, so if you take Arla, for example, Arla, biggest, one of the biggest dairy companies in, the, in Europe, are now actually investing in, in oats so that they can milk their oats. Um, you know, those are the kind of opportunities that businesses and entrepreneurial businesses will, will take as they go forward. So those are the kind of issues that I think need to be considered uh, as we move forward uh, in, in the next few years. Dave, I'll bring you in in a minute to talk about, you know, the environmental impact of, of, of these things that need to be done. And But first to you, Sally, you were part of this, this government sort of group looking into the industry, particularly from a dairy point of view, and the, and the challenges that, that you face in reducing greenhouse gases. So what kind of uh, results did you get from that? For me, the, the absolute key 
is establishing a baseline within Scotland. That at the moment, we all keep talking about different targets and reducing and, and everything getting better. But if we don't know our start point, then how are we supposed to know that we've actually achieved any reduction? There are a huge number of us carrying out carbon audits and, and various different biodiversity management, but we're, it's so fragmented that there absolutely has to be a baseline established across the whole, the whole of Scotland to know whether we are moving in the right direction. That needs clarity from government for us as farmers. As I've said, there's plenty of us out there doing carbon audits and who are very focused and aware of, of the need to change. But if we're not guided, we could be blindly heading off for the wrong, the wrong road that's then ultimately going to cost us at, at business level. But to just to address, you know, as a very defensive dairy farmer, um, the, the changing consumer trends is, is a huge thing. But we also have to be very careful that we don't end up just chasing a fad. But when I say fad, not because I believe veganism is a fad, because I don't, it's here to stay. But we have to be very careful about allowing the consumer to drive some of that change if that is actually going to be destructive. And it's, I think Stephen's point about the moral bankruptcy of exporting our environmental obligations is, is absolutely key to all of it, that we have to find a way within Scottish agriculture that we can address consumer issues whilst also continuing to provide in a non-morally bankrupt way. Dave, we've heard there were some vital economic issues and opportunities within farming, but we're also facing climate challenges too. And I know you're involved in a working group for the Scottish Government about how we can limit the global rise in temperature. And so what were some of the key findings from that report? And what do you think that farmers can play? Uh, or what role do you think farmers can play in the role in tackling climate change? And how crucial will that contribution be from farmers? Yeah, so, so the, I mean, the, the groups that have been looking at this with Scottish government and independently completely echo what Sally just said in terms of, um, I guess, climate change for farming and agriculture is something which is, um, you know, we're on the front line as farmers in terms of climate change impacts and changing severe weather. So that's something which certainly in Scotland, um, you know, we need to be prepared for, we need to adapt to. Uh, but the other side of the coin is we're also a major source of emissions as a sector. So if we look at agriculture and related land use, it's about a quarter of our emissions in Scotland. So we know we need to reduce those emissions. We need to tackle climate change. We need to be more resilient. And um, I guess the, the really good thing about the, the farmer-led groups, uh, like, like Sally was talking about, um, the, the Farming 1.5 inquiry that Stephen and I are part of, is, is actually talking about the reality on the ground, uh, how people already are, are kind of adapting, so becoming more resilient, but what they can do to cut emissions. And one of the key things that's come out is this, you cannot manage what you don't measure. So it is getting that baseline, and it's not just the baseline for the whole of Scotland in terms of where we are with agriculture, but it's on a farm level. It's knowing for your farm, you know, how much carbon have you got in your soils? How can you enhance that? Um, if you've got uh, emissions from your um, activities, where can you actually change them and how can that be supported? So, so one of the, the great things we've, we've got in Scotland is a great research base, an evidence base for this. You know, so in terms of a lot of the techniques, whether it's in um, livestock agriculture in terms of changing feeds or, or breeding um, and, and selection, if it's in arable, you know, um, precision agriculture using nitrogen fertilizers more accurately, We've, we've got the, 
we've got the research now to, to help support that. And so really it's, I guess one of the great things about the inquiry and the groups is that connection between the research, the evidence base and the practitioners, the farmers themselves and implementing that so we can, we can reduce emissions directly from producing food. And a key part of that, like, like Stevie said, was about avoiding offshoring because it's not just a, a morally bankrupt idea that we reduce food production here and just import it. Actually, a lot of our food production here is lower emissions than if we imported the same food from overseas, like beef, for instance, from Brazil. It's lower emissions producing it here in the UK. So we need to avoid that, but we also need to reduce our emissions directly and we need to look at the wider landscape. So one of the key things for getting to this net zero target we've got in Scotland for 2045 is balance, balancing emissions which are unavoidable, and that includes food production, with increased uptake. And that a lot of that uptake is going to come from how we use the land through an expansion in woodlands, um, uh, restoration of our peatlands, uh, and more, more carbon being held in the soil. And if we can make that balance and actually land use and agriculture, we are fundamental to this for the whole nation and for, for the UK and for the world. We can show the way of how to do this. Um, I think uh, that's, that's going to be, I guess, the sector leading the way in tackling climate change rather than uh, following on all the other sectors. And how well equipped and prepared do you think the sector is to, to kind of make that positive contribution to the environment? It's, it's on that journey. We've got, a, we've got a lot to do in not much time. So we've had the common agricultural policy, which has is, which is limited us to a certain extent in terms of where we've, we've wanted to make change. And that hasn't been supported in terms of how uh, land management is funded. A lot of the, the changes in, in land management, in, um, in low carbon farming or low emission farming, that's going to need help somewhat with the kit in terms of, you know, this, this agricultural transformation fund we have in Scotland is around giving access um, to new equipment, to the kind of tools that we need to reduce emissions. There's also a massive need, and, and um, I go on about this too much, but I, I'm, I'm going to go on about it again, is about capacity building. So it's about making sure the advisory service is really top notch, is world leading, so that when we when we are doing our carbon audit or when we are reporting on what, you know, on our emission reductions, um, we've got the support to do that. We know what to do on a farm level. And more widely than that, I think the, the education system, actually, if we think about um, what the next generation of farmers are learning in terms of agricultural practice, that needs to include um, how you reduce your emissions, how you manage your land in terms of carbon sequestration, how you use the tools like the carbon audit tools. Um, you know, that needs to be part of the picture because this is, this is a, an immediate challenge. So we need to build capacity now, but actually the climate challenge uh, and the nature crisis, they are gonna be with us for this whole century. And actually we need to make sure, like I say, this next generation of farmers have those tools as well. Sally, I'd like to ask you the same question. How, how well you know, equipped and prepared do you think the Scottish farming sector is to, to you know, tackling these problems? Normally, you get very, very positive answers when uh, you're in this situation. And I tend to err on honesty. And, and I don't think we are as well prepared as we could be. However, in defence of farmers, we get so many mixed messages. So Dave made that sound um like uh, very straightforward you know 
I could understand everything he was saying. But on the other side, you've got plenty of scientists out there, and, and I'll give an example of, of an American scientist, Frank Meatliner, and apologies if I've said his name wrong, who is very reassuring to anybody with ruminant agriculture that don't worry, it's actually we're not as bad as, as we think we are, and therefore there's maybe less impetus to do things. And that is a massive challenge, is that at the end of the day, my day-to-day -day life is looking after livestock. I physically don't have the time to read every scientist's latest um, Bible on how to save the planet. I want very straightforward guarantee, you know, and apologies, I want guarantees, which I know that there's always going to be room for debate. Great. But what we need is actually clear, concise. This is the direction you are going to have to go in because this is going to be the consequence. And again, I appreciate nobody has a crystal ball. But that it doesn't help the challenge facing Scottish agriculture when we've we've got so many conflicting ideas of how to take it forward. And it it was really eye opening to me being part of the, the dairy sector climate change group within farmers, the different levels of understanding of climate change. And there becomes huge arguments about, well, we've got so much land, the sequestration deals with anything that we're producing. And it, it becomes a very easy excuse for, I don't need to look at the efficiency of my business because look, I've got acres and acres and acres here that the grass is gonna look after it for me. So we're not as prepared as we should be, but I would have said once the clear direction of travel is given and financial support, I'm, I'm afraid is going to be essential, then I think Scottish agriculture is definitely on board to move in that direction. So Stephen, I'd like to ask you about, you know, clearly, you know, having these challenges and I'll, you see, I'll say opportunities as well within climate, uh, because I can't just <laughs> say it's challenges, because let's see some, some degree of positivity as well, because we know it's going to be a difficult thing as well. And, and as Sally said, there's some support is going to be needed. But while this is all going on and all these targets are going to have to be met, Scotland's produce is still going to have to be seen at home and abroad as some of the best in the world. So how do we carry on doing that, keeping you know the that important uh, sector kind of you know shouting high from the rooftops, saying we're here, we're doing good things? Should the government be supporting financially a little more about getting that um, the right produce home and abroad to the right places? The opportunities for our food to be sold internationally and locally, uh, this this is absolutely bought into sustainability. So we're starting to see consumers, um, a lot of consumers, or particularly the wealthy consumers uh, globally, actually switching on to the sustainability of their food and locality of their food. So that produces an opportunity for some farmers. Now, not all of our produce goes to the top end of the market. It, it, it covers all bases. And the key for us is to send the messages that Scotland is a producer of very green uh, and environmentally friendly product. Now, Jim Walker in the Suckler Beef Climate Group, he was absolutely convinced that this is going to be a unique selling point for Scotland internationally. So we have got a reputation internationally for whiskey, for Scotch salmon, and let's piggyback on them. Uh, people, people have a close affinity with Scotland, understand our landscape, understand our heritage, understand tartan, understand our mountains, uh, etc. Sell our beef, sell our lamb on that basis. Now, what that may mean is that we might need to change our attitudes with how we deal with food processing. So, for example, we currently don't slaughter any lamb um, through halal methods. 
yet there's a huge market in the Middle East for for lamb. Qatar has just fallen out with Australia. Uh, they were they were they had a massive deal, three hundred million dollar deal with Australia, which they've withdrawn from. Uh, so there are there are markets there, but if we don't follow their processes, then we we don't we can't get into those markets. So currently, uh, if lamb, Scottish lamb, was to go to Qatar, it would have to be go down to England, culled in England, and then exported. So there are opportunities for us here. The, the, why we don't go down those routes, I don't know, because uh, the little known fact is pretty much all New Zealand and Australia lamb that comes into this country is culled by that process. Uh, but nobody seems to understand that or care about that. Uh, but we seem very concerned about it when we talk about processing. So opportunities abound if we're willing to do things that uh, the, the markets uh, offer. Now, the international trade, so Liz Trust is dealing with an awful lot of trade deals just now. Trade deals open doors. They don't build market penetration and market uh, your market. You have to do then get in and do an awful lot of legwork to actually sell your product into these markets to generate the interest in your product. And that's going to take a lot of investment. And the investment has to come uh, through the levy boards, through the government agencies. So Scotland Food and Drink will play a vital role in this. Uh, the, the Food from Britain approach. So UK government will be vital in some of it. Um, and which, whichever product you're dealing with, uh, it will be vital to actually uh, sell that product into those markets and then diversify that portfolio. So the, the EU withdrawal has brought into sharp focus how being reliant on a single export market uh, is fraught with risks. So the seed potato industry, uh, so, so uh, potato tubers for seed can no longer be exported into Europe. Uh, we're seeing the same with, uh, with mollusks so, uh, in, the, in the aquaculture industry. So you're seeing the same for, for, um, for mussels, et cetera. These are hard, steadfast rules that the EU have on third country, third country uh, imports into the EU. So we need to diversify this base of where we are trading internationally uh, to minimise risks and to provide us with a higher income. Um, and then the, the local market, I always think the local market will take care of itself. So we don't need to reinforce that Scotland is great in Scotland because most people kind of get that, um, but but we need to reaffirm that south of the border because that is one of our biggest markets. So the biggest market for lamb is isn't in Scotland. The biggest market is in is in England actually. Yeah, I was going to say that Stephen because I'm sure Sally would disagree and say we need to tell Scottish people how good Scottish lamb is as well. You know, because even though they know they're maybe not selling buying it as much as as other people. But Sally, I'd just like to get your point on on this and and. You know the opportunities for trade deals and exposures to international markets for for the for the Scottish uh, agriculture sector. How how is that going to going to sort of um, evolve? Do you think? Yeah, Stephen covered pretty much everything I was going to say as uh, as he was as he was speaking. I was scribbling down notes, thinking, "Oh, this is the point I would make," and then he went on to make it. So thank you, Stephen. But the, for for me, the biggest things really are it comes down it does come down to marketing and the funding of that marketing. And Stephen mentioned a few bodies that should be funding it, but I also think farmers are going to have to accept if we are going to grow something, produce something, we can't just leave it to the vagaries of the market or somebody else to market it for us. We have to take responsibility for it. Now at individual farm level, it's unaffordable, 
But so what is going to become essential is more cooperation across farmers, across groups of farmers, and not necessarily sector specific. I've got um, a big issue with this um, fragmentation of Scottish agriculture and us being referred to as there's the dairy producers, there's the cereal producers, there's the beef producers, because what really came out strongly in the all the different sector reports was the commonalities. You know, every single one of us could have picked out maybe three or four unique things about our specific sectors, but the commonalities across us all is going to be so important and it is going to be about what unites us going forward to give that voice and that strength rather than everybody um, hunkering down into their own businesses and battering away. So for me, it's the, the marketing is huge and the cooperation. And I think we can learn so much from the European cooperatives. When we look across the water, you see just how strong in, in all sectors, not just dairy, um, Stephen's mentioned Arla already, but it, it's across all sectors that, that that cooperative nature, and that I suspect will be a bigger challenge to agriculture than dealing with any climate change, to be honest, that, that complete change in mentality to everybody working together for a common goal rather than, um, rather than competing with each other at the Scottish level. And very specifically on everyone knows Scotland is great in Scotland, COVID has highlighted how much people support homegrown produce, but how little the hospitality sector support us. And when you see the sales in beef, the sales in lamb um, have, have absolutely rocketed of homegrown. You know, there's, there's an argument that Brexit hasn't, hasn't hit those sectors, but it's the COVID response and people are buying locally produced meat. And the big challenge is gonna be when our hospitality sector opens back up again, that, that we see that continue. So I, I think we do need to keep drum in Scotland about Scottish being great and the myriad of reasons that it is great. Just just on Sally's point about marketing, and uh, we, we look quite often enviously at the Irish as to how quickly they can access and penetrate markets. But Board Bia's uh, budget is over 65 million um, euros a year. And, and that comes right back to the nub of the question that, or the point that Sally was making, which is we need to invest in accessing markets, because if we don't do that, um, then, then we ain't ever going to ever going to achieve what they could they appear to be able to achieve in a short space of time, which then means that we're absolutely aligned to DEFRA and to the Welsh government approaches. Um, and that means that uh, all we're doing is actually delivering it in a slightly different way. So, so the, the, there are risks, but there are also opportunities to actually coalesce around the same messages on biodiversity and climate. So international markets are obviously a big opportunity for Scottish farmers, but they're also a big opportunity for international farmers, because then the Scottish market is open and they'll be looking to send things here as well. Yeah, and there's been quite a lot of noise about this um, in, the, in the sort of lead up to the UK agricultural bill being passed. Um, and I suppose the, the, the sort of the headline ones are, are uh, hormone beef and chlorinated chicken from the US. Um, and, and that provides a cost basis, a, a, a sort of a cost, a cost benefit for those producers. Um, so the, the Trade and Agriculture Commission um, in, in the UK was set up to actually look at this and try and address some of the, the concerns. They, they've got the, the unparalleled um, difficulty of trying to uh, 
make sure that consumers have choice on, on cheap food, but also safeguarding the industry. So the standards uh, on, on antibiotic use, on labeling, uh, on welfare, on environment, all of those kind of things need to be considered. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do in the current WTO rules, the World Trade Organization rules, but the government can, it's, it's within their grasp to actually make sure uh, as Sally had mentioned earlier, that we do, there is not a race to the bottom with regards to standards and cutting costs, uh, that we maintain our standards and we're proud of those standards. And the bit that kind of everybody forgets is that in America, in Australia, in Argentina, there are lots of producers that don't use hormones that actually have got excellent product that can enter into our markets currently. Um, and they can continue to do so. And if we give them preferential access or allow that through trade deals, then if they've got a lower cost basis, they will, they, will, they will go for this market. Currently, Australia and New Zealand, they're focusing quite heavily on the, the Middle East. Developing countries are where you're seeing uh, increased demand for meat products. So it's whether or not it's lucrative enough for them to shift their, their focus into this market. Um, and, and of course, the, the, world, the, the world trade position is that most product, when people are exporting, kind of has a home to go to already. So it's not as if there's going to be suddenly a huge insurge of, of product. But over the long period of time, people will target the UK because it's seen as a lucrative market. Okay, David, I want to speak to you as well, just, you know, because we, I think we were, we were talking always about challenges with climate change and, and uh, the environmental thing. And I want you to kind of finish on some kind of positivity in terms of, you know, what farmers can be doing that's going to positively impact their, their industry, their business as well, whilst making a wider, bigger, a positive impact on the environment. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of opportunities with this. And we've talked a bit about how actually reward for not just reducing emissions or trapping carbon, but also enhancing biodiversity and protecting biodiversity. That is where, um, you know, the the money is going to flow, it's going to support more of that. And, and I know for a lot of farmers, that that's something that they, they they want to do more of. But actually, under the cap, that was that was limited in terms of what was possible. The other thing which is opening up is private sector market for this stuff. So we've got an active carbon market. We've got a lot of interest in terms of how sequestering carbon on our farms can actually be a commodity we can sell. Uh, so there's a thing called the Woodland Carbon Code. So that's a, a way where you can actually look at your land, look at your practices and go through a formal route to actually get reward for that and sell the carbon that you sequester. Now, that's not going to be for everyone, but that is something which suddenly makes the numbers add up better sometimes when you're when you're looking at changing part of your farm, part of your land use. You know, you're moving it towards something which will help balance the books in terms of global carbon emissions but actually that needs to be rewarded. And so both the public funding mechanism through the changes in our, in our support regime in Scotland and the UK should help with that, but the private markets there as well. And, the, and you said end on a positive. So that is a positive, but there's a slight caveat for that is that there's a danger always with these things that um, you wear the carbon blinkers. I'm a carbon geek. So I just look at the carbon and I go, right, that's what we need to do. We need to tackle climate change and cut carbon at all costs. And we could get to net zero and cut loads of carbon. Um, and, and I would be happy and I look outside my window and Scotland would just be like a desolate wasteland because it would destroy communities, it would destroy biodiversity. 
So the big caveat with all of this is you need the evidence base and you need to look at the big picture. Yes, we need to tackle climate change, definitely. It's, a, it's an emergency and, we, and we're part of it. We need to protect biodiversity and enhance that, but we cannot do that in a way which doesn't support livelihoods and deliver a just transition to net zero. So there's lots of opportunity, but we need to, we need to do what we're doing today, which is talk around the different perspectives, the, the reality on the ground, and go in with eyes open, and then we can we can really realise this. Thank you very much, Steve. Now, let's Sally. Let's talk a bit more about international markets. Then, how can Scottish farmers increase their efficiency then to compete? Because uh, you know Brexit has now happened. The, the the world is open, and and potentially there to be uh, when I say exploited, yeah, I will say exploited. So, how can Scottish farmers increase that efficiency and compete on that global scale? I think we have to be very careful about the use of the word efficiency um, because by increasing our efficiency doesn't necessarily increase the, the margin that we can that we can charge and I think for me the international element is actually all about margin rather than rather than necessarily our efficiency and the I will come to your question properly I promise but I think we have to be very careful about about using efficiency because in in my opinion the risk is with that is it just becomes a race to the bottom that everybody is looking to cut costs cut costs cut costs whether it's I mean, carbon efficiency is, is a slightly different discussion but in terms of fundamental business efficiency if we're all looking to cut costs the whole time my margin is no better if the price is following that that reduction so it's absolutely essential that that we that we split the two that in terms of cost of production versus versus price but i think we also beat ourselves up a little bit too much that there's already huge numbers of of farmers who are trading on an international basis already whether it's in the finished product whether it's in the livestock the genetics it is happening we are you know every country i suspect classes themselves as world leaders but we're no different you know there are there are absolutely brilliant examples um of, of people who are who are already doing it who are achieving it but i think for me it's all about not getting so hung up on price and looking at competing to bring it down it's actually sorry come back to marketing again and and go out and actually sell what we are what we are doing rather than getting hung up on what a what a New Zealand farmer can produce compared with what with what we can produce. We are Scottish agriculture, and we need to be proud of that and and go out there with this is what our offering is, rather than worrying about other people's offerings. It's about the positives that we produce, which is it's it's phenomenal. Anybody who comes on a Scottish farm goes away absolutely you know elated with the fact that that that's where their food has come from, and I think we need to be prouder of that. It's very easy to. To end up in your echo chamber of, of of all the pressures that are coming at us but we just you have to you have to look at it from the big picture and what we do is pretty incredible and we have to go out there and tell that story absolutely so i'm going to ask the same question to all of you just to round things up and um, what one action would you encourage businesses working in scotland's agriculture sector or related sector to take from having listened to our discussion today and i'll, I'll start with stephen i think so i suppose from my perspective, the key message is just grasp this opportunity when it comes. There will be support in terms of advice. There will be support in terms of transformation pot that Dave mentioned. Uh, and you may also get an uplift uh, if you join, join some of these pilots for the first couple of years. So to take those opportunities to, to, to have a deep look at your business. Dave, the same question to you. 
Yeah, so I'd echo Stevie and, and, and say, don't, don't wait for this to come and hit you. Whether, you know, so talk to your advisor, talk to your, your union rep. Um, you know, obviously everyone is hugely busy and it's really tempting to go, oh, you know, they'll sort this out in, in Holyrood or in the government and, and we'll see what they, they come to. And um, that, that means, you know, your voice isn't heard and you also haven't got that opportunity to kind of, just that when we're allowed in the pubs again, having a chat about, okay, as a group, how are we going to engage with this? How are we, there's these things called regional land use partnerships. So they're going to be piloted this year. We'll have these frameworks coming in in the next couple of years. As a, as a farmer, you need to know about these because that will be a, a way for you to again, have a voice within your region. So don't just sit and wait for it to come to you, get out there and, and, and talk, obviously at the moment, virtually, unfortunately. <laughs> Sally, I'm coming to you last. Now, I, I apologise because I'm only coming to you last because as the former chair of the Oxford Farming Conference, you're all about positivity. And I, I want to finish on a very positive note. And I know that some of the things that Stephen and Dave just said, you probably would have put in that answer. But so for the, for the last <laughs> time, same question to you, please. Well, exactly. I should have muscled in because they've said Sorry. exactly. No, it's fine. But on, on the genuine positivity, it is, don't be scared about this. It is... In, in my lifetime in agriculture, I'm only 37, but this, this is the biggest thing that I am going to, I hope that I'm going to have to deal with in my career within agriculture. And it is, as Dave said, about trying to make the time. It's very easy when, when we're, we're bogged down in the day-to-day -day grind of, of running our businesses, of, of crop walking or walking through your stock. Those are all the things that, that that's, that's what we love to do. And sitting down and reading line after line after line of policy might not exactly be how why we signed up to to get involved in agriculture however we're, we, we have to do it and and there is huge opportunity out there and find out your baseline that and and you can you, the sky's the limit you know once you know where your starting point is then everything becomes manageable it's terrifying to most of us because we don't know where we're even starting from and um, we've potentially been pummeled by the you're not climate friendly and you need to improve. The reality is we're doing a good job already, but there's huge room for improvement. The technical efficiency that Stephen mentioned, and I was being slightly glib about my efficiency to cut margin, but the technical efficiency thing is massive, but we have to know where we're starting from. So find out your baseline, benchmark like mad, and just enjoy the future that, that we're going to provide for, for everybody to enjoy. Brought to you by Royal Bank of Scotland. In my next episode, I'll be talking to three farmers from across Scotland to hear about the issues facing them on a more practical level and what they're doing today to create opportunities to stay future fit for tomorrow. To listen to this episode again, simply go to our YouTube channel and for more thought leadership on this sector, simply search agriculture on the free Royal Bank Business Hub. Mm -hmm.